We'll fall out here if you're not careful. Hello and welcome back to just another football podcast. Deadline day special at the time of recording. About three hours out from the end of the transfer window. Uh, I'm joined by Ali tonight. The others, unfortunately, aren't here. But uh, Ali is. So, yes, how you sir. doing, Ali? I'm glad to be here. Um, deadline day in the summer was wild. Uh, what happened while we recorded that time, if uh, our listeners remember. Um, and yeah, this time there is some incredibly weird transfers, I think. It's been so, bonkers. It's been absolutely It's been a bonkers mental. day. It's been a bonkers winter, if I'm honest with you. It's yeah. always an interesting time in January because obviously you see some wild stuff going on partly because you're mid-season and it, and it kind of means the psychology around buying and selling players you know is not what it's like in the summer um you've obviously got teams like newcastle who have got a lot of money and desperately need players and it's mm-hmm. just created like an interesting dynamic um we'll get into that stuff soon but we'll start as ever as we well i say as ever as we have been doing in the last few weeks with the uh afcon appetizer and uh, it's been a, yeah. it's been a pretty decent decent week since we last recorded Ali for your for your country. Bloody hell! I I am gobsmacked by how, what Egypt have been able to do. We're in the semi final, so if you recall, before the Ivory Coast game, so last episode, I was like, uh, Ivory Coast are favourites for the tournament. Harry, I think Ivory Coast will win, and then we win on penalties. Yeah. Eric then, Bailey, Fool, Eric... foolish effort that was. <laughs> I didn't understand it. I've, I've like, never seen a penalty quite like it. I have. Um, I've seen worse. There is a bit of an, an anecdote in that, in terms of Egypt's world, uh, in, uh, Egypt's um, you know re- record with penalty kicks. So uh, we won against Ivory Coast in the penalty shootout in the Afghan final, two thousand and six. Uh, there were a few foolish efforts in that one too. Um, yeah. But very more, much more recently, uh, Club World Cup 2020, mm-hmm. Al Ahli, uh, Egyptian, you know, massive Egyptian side, world uh, or, or like record African Champions League holders, were playing in the third place playoff, which is a big deal actually for that for for them over there, um, against Palmeiras, yeah. and there there was this meme of a penalty that some. Uh, that someone took. I I can't recall his name, but it was he he made you know the Neymar run up, but it was a yeah. lot more <laughs> elaborate. Like he took a few quick steps to the side, and then like ran in place, and then sprinted to the ball, and then did, did a huge like twice the size of the Jorginho hop, and then just passed it to the goalkeeper, and yeah. that ended up costing them the penalty shootout. Wow. So I've seen worse. I've seen worse. It was uh it was a good save. By the substitute goalkeeper Gabaski, mm. who was introduced to that game because our starting goalkeeper Al Shanawi got injured. Uh, we progress to the quarterfinal where guess what? Gabaski gets injured, so we were playing with our third choice goalkeeper third and will do so for the remainder of the tournament. It looks like at least anyway. Uh, now you can he plays for he's the starting goalkeeper for a club called Farco. Um, in in Egypt, uh, recently yeah. promoted to to the Premier Division, and Higazi got injured too. So we've had our back four injured uh, throughout the tournament. Um, so we have six injuries. So two goalkeepers, four defenders for the remainder of the tournament. So we're very very thin at the back. 
but we're still mm. doing well. Look, we've still only conceded that one goal and then the penalty in the Morocco game, uh, which we which we won two one. So next up is Cameroon on the third of February. Still pretty nervous about our prospects. Yeah, not gonna game. lie, massive game hosts. against the hosts. It's gonna be in the capital. I still don't think we're capable of winning the tournament. I agree with Mo Salah, who said the same thing after the Nigeria game, uh, yeah. which was bold of him. But uh, it it kind of it might have been a deliberate strategy that worked because we've mm. seen we've seen improvements game on game. Against Nigeria, we didn't string a, bat, a couple of passes together. Weird tactical decisions, like playing Salah as a, you know, essentially a target man. Um, our starting striker was Mustafa Mohamed down the right-hand side, and then he did the same in the second game, but we were bailed out with a most solemn volley. Uh, and then, yeah, but we've seen, like, improvements in terms of being able to make passing combinations... Uh, Chemistry-wise, I think we've, we've improved, but the egypt Morocco game was one of the worst games of football quality-wise I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> All that being said, we won. Uh, it's fine, but it was a slog. The pitch was awful. The refereeing was incredibly lenient, and uh, there, there's been, there was stoppages. There were fights. It's just a hard watch, but we got there. Yeah, I mean, it's all that matters in knockout football, isn't it? I mean, you saw England Absolutely. in the Euros just winning games by one goal, pretty much all the way to the all the way to the final. Nearly got it done. Absolutely, um, it's all that matters in international football. It's rarely thrilling. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting. Like, one of the things that stood out for me is that um, because because it's interesting. You watch some players like they go away on international duty and they just turn into different players. Mm. But then I watch El Nenny and people still run past him like he's a training ground mannequin so i was glad to see that there's there's um there's not a discrepancy in his performances hey, for uh, at least Egypt offensively arsenal el Nenny got man of the match in the morocco game and i think he i, I don't know how I, um, I, I just, I... here's the thing everyone was awful <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just... that's the, that's the thing like even even hakimi was mm. you yeah know, I just, he won the penalty I... but he won the penalty Deliberate, not tidy there. enough, but uh, yeah. it's uh, yeah, he, he's the same player at least for Egypt that he is for Arsenal. But I mean, I'm sure you know that that um, he's probably more important to them than he is to us, where he just kind of sits around and uh, hangs around, so to speak. I mean, it's, tra- it's another transfer deadline day, nothing to be heard from him, so he'll, he'll be staying <laughs> for another for another window. Um, yeah, deservedly so, he should be starting. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask me, don't, don't, don't start. <laughs> um, nope. Success for one of your international teams. Yes. Not so much for the other with the USA against Canada and the CONCACAF. Um, it's interesting because I saw actually your your take on the game uh, last night was a bit more measured because I, I follow a few American accounts, mm. uh, primarily for golf, actually, but they they also they also cover football or, or soccer, as you guys call it. Golf. And they weren't the pleased with the events. performance at all. That, 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 that. <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna fall out. Um, I knew that would uh, get you started. We'll fall out here if you're not careful. Um, but they, they weren't particularly pleased with the performance, whereas you sort of you seem to you seem to understand it a bit more in the context of of the game itself. Canada were pretty good by all accounts. Yeah. I didn't actually catch the game; I only saw bits of it. I saw our, our soon-to-be second goalkeeper was pretty pretty suspect on the Ooh. first goal of his positioning, and it well. just went through his hands. It wasn't great. He didn't cover himself in glory. Um, well, Harry. 
Yeah, but people people were raving about Canada. They seem to think that they're onto something there. Oh, they definitely are. Canada didn't even reach the final stage of qualification for the 2018 World Cup. That's one of the quickest turnarounds I've I can remember about a national team. Mm. Such an amazing group of players. Um, the the kind of scouting of players from different places who might qualify for for Canada and you know able able being able to attract European based players. Um, mm. It's, and then they also have the MLS-based strikers, uh, Kyle Lahren, who's now their uh, top goal scorer ever and scored that, that first goal. Um, he was in the MLS at Orlando Orlando City, uh, went to Besiktas. Does amazing yeah. for for Canada. Um, like him and Jonathan David are basically on the same level when it comes to performance for the, for the Canada national team. Mm-hmm. What a performance as well, just... in. In that game individually, um, you look at the team sheets and you still think, you know, America have got the U.S. have got the upper hand. Canada just outperformed us in every single way, every single way. Without Alfonso Davis, yeah. he's the thing too. Um, we should have, on on an individual game basis, we should have done a lot better um, mm. in terms of. A plan. You had Jesse Zardes. That's someone I kind of want to focus on. Starting, he has been pretty awful for us for a long time. Ricardo Pepe was on the bench. You probably heard of Ricardo Pepe. His, uh, uh, yeah. His amazing start to his international career. But mm-hmm. people like Pepe, Kellen Acosta was on the bench. Um, DeAndre Yedlin was on the bench. I thought DeAndre Yedlin should um, should be starting. Has performed well over like the last international break. Here's the thing as well: Yunus Musa on the side of Adekupe, who was absolutely immense. Plays for some team in Turkey. I can't recall. Let me pull up the name of the Turkish team here. You probably haven't heard of it before. Hatayaspor. No, me neither. I've never heard of that team before. Man right. of the match. Man of the match. This this guy should be playing somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. And he gave he gave Sergino Dest the run of for, or his money and Yunus Musa is the right hand side of the midfield. Cause hard watch. It's a hard watch. They they just dominated us all game. Yeah, it was a good performance from them. All all, yeah. all right up to the game I've seen seemed to um, seems to be raving about Canada. I mean, where did where does that leave before we sort of move on? Where does that leave the? Uh, Cafe. It's it's quite tight, isn't it, with the with the table now? Yes, very tight. <laughs> Canada are on twenty two points. They, I think, they've practically qualified for the World Cup. So you have three automatic uh, spots, and then you have half a team. So a team, the team that finishes fourth, plays a another qualifier with it might be um, Asia or Oceania. Poor um, mm. for me not to fact check this one, but here we go. Three and a half teams. So it's the U.S. And then, uh, sorry, it's, so it's Canada, 22 points. The U.S. and Mexico are in 18, so four behind. Panama are in 17, that mm-hmm. half team. We don't want to be in a position where we are playing an additional qualifier. Um, yeah. So that, that game was really important. I mean, for, for, for playing a team that we hadn't lost to in World Cup qualifiers for... 30 years pretty poor pretty poor mm. 
Um, and then Mexico yeah, were held to our luck, or maybe not, but they were held against Panama to a nil-nil draw. They both dropped points, yeah. They both dropped points. Tight. It's tight. How it many games tight. are left? Uh, how many games? So we have seven. There's 14 games, so there's four games left. Game this cycle so yeah that's why i say canada are undefeated so far goal difference of 12 second best goal difference is us with six uh they are on 22 points i don't see anyone giving them a challenge if they keep performing how they're performing their four Mm. three one two system is immense especially this was a surprising one there's a dm uh, called uh estacchio um who didn't start last night uh well yesterday uh, Mark Anthony K from Colorado Rapids started for them. I didn't think he was as capable as Stacchio in terms of protecting the back four, but also distribution-wise, which is you know a standard quality of Stacchio. But if they start him, guaranteed wins. Okay, just there you go. On and on. There you go. There's your Concacaf bonus roundup. There's so. Thank there's you for that, Alec. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Covered the international football pretty well. I mean, there's there's no uh, domestic football going on at the, at the moment. Well, at least not in the top flight. Anyone that watches, you know, the championship and below will probably be berating me right now, telling me that uh, that is in fact the real football in this country. But uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to offend anyone there. Um, but obviously, the main talking point as we started the podcast with has been the transfer window, and you know, no more relevant than on deadline day where. It's just an absolute frenzy of stuff going on. I mean... Oh, it's immense. Uh, it, it really is. It's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, we'll get into some of the stuff that has gone on today. But just to kind of ask you more broadly, I suppose, to kick this conversation off. Um, yeah. Is there a team slash, like, teams where you look at their business this January and think, yeah, they've had a good window. They've really improved and they, and they kind of stand out as... I want to say like winning the window, a winner of the transfer window. They've gone in and strengthened and they look better for it coming out of it. Uh, uh, predictably so, Newcastle United. I mean, we all, we all, who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? They have uh, um, one of the richest countries in the world literally owning them. Um, but yeah, they have made one of the weirdest transfers of all time, I think. Bruno Guimaraes. No, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I'll come off as frustrated because I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest yeah, fan. Mate, of you're frustrated. Corruption. You're in... frustrated. I mean, who, who I, like, thinks so? Who thinks so? I, I, I have to say, it, 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 from an Arsenal perspective, obviously, it's quite relevant. We've been linked with this guy. We've tracked this guy for years, Ooh. and there, there's your opportunity to go in and and potentially get a deal done. And you know, they end up paying fifty million, I think, with, with add-ons or whatever, fifty million euros. Um, yes. So you know, like not 40. crazy money. I mean, and there's Newcastle tax on that as well. I think you're going to find this with with clubs selling to Newcastle. They are going to ask for that bit extra over the top because, well, they, they know they have it right. Um, and that was it. Was quite funny actually. Like it was a classic um, Orlas uh, negotiating tactic where you basically had Leon come out and make a public uh, statement about. How the transfer hadn't been inclu- uh, um, concluded when loads of journalists were reporting it, it was basically agreed, and then it ended up they ended up getting an extra fifteen million or whatever it was out of it. Um, mm. Very good player by by the looks of it. Very well rounded player. Very progressive. Very uh, combative. Carries the ball. Passes the ball well. Wins it back. 
uh, physically good. I suppose the only thing I'm looking at, and probably similar to you, I'm looking at it and you're just thinking, how? I mean, I know the financial side of it. They're paying him something like four times what he was on at Leon, which I don't know. Like maybe maybe a player's motivation is that as a 23 year old. But if I'm him, I'm just looking at it and thinking, come the summer, you're going to have all... If you keep doing what you're doing in, in League 1 and, and putting up the numbers he has been, putting in the performances he has been, Leon aren't going to be in the Champions League next season by the looks of it. I think they're 11th in the uh, in the table uh, as things stand. Um, he's going to have all sorts of suitors after him. And, and, and look, maybe that Newcastle project, quote-unquote, and we can discuss that in a second, is, is appealing to players because they look at it and they can maybe project three or four years time and I think we're going to be in a good position but at the moment on face value he's joining a team that are 18th in the table and you know the manager is the jury's out I still think to be honest with you the squad is a bit of a mishmash I think in in terms of what they've recruited and what's there already it's just a questionable one I mean it's a great signing for Newcastle in terms of they've been able to get a very very good player but it's just bizarre to me i don't know how this has been able to happen to, to be quite honest with you i don't understand it so if he is thinking oh this is the start of something i could be like one of the early man city signings uh you know uh that that, that can take newcastle to the next level and then we'll be in the champions league in no time then he is being ex- exceptionally naive Oh, yeah, man. It... I, I find it bizarre that he's taking this decision. He is Champions League. He's a he's not even Champions League ready. He is Champions League level and beyond. Like He is a world-leading progressive passer. He is a world-leading defensive midfield defensively. Mm-hmm. Extremely capable dribbler. Like He is a complete set of a midfielder that will improve any team in the world, not just... Arsenal, if you'd gone to Arsenal, which would have been yeah. a, a much better prospect for him going to Arsenal than Newcastle freaking moment, United. Yeah. Like Newcastle might might as well go down. <laughs> Still. They yeah. they might them, they might find themselves getting relegated. Are there additions enough to prevent that? I don't know. I don't think well, well, I think we'll 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 see the how the rest of the day pans out. They've improved in a uh, left back in adding uh in adding uh, target. Yeah, target. Tar- so, so target is a better left back than what they've got. I think Dan Byrne. What, while I, I I have questions about his kind of physical limitations, as much as he is a bit of a man mountain, I don't think he's particularly quick. Yeah. Um, he reminds me a bit of Mertesacker actually in terms of like being really tall, but they're not particularly agile. Not he's not like hugely strong, at least not for a man his size. Mm. Um, and he plays in a very good system at Brighton. So you sort of think, well, take him out of that, and is he the same player? But he's better than what they've got. Mm. Um, Chris Wood's a really questionable one for me and I think they know that and that they've been linked with another striker since but you know it's one of those where they've maybe weakened a rival uh, Trippier similar to Target probably much better than the, the fullbacks they've got Yeah. so so they've upgraded in, in most positions definitely but I don't think that guarantees them survival I think Not there's at still all. a lot of uncertainty around it all and, and when you look at Bruno that may, I mean can you imagine they get relegated I mean you know, all, and there isn't the a relegation sounds, release clause on. I was going to say all, well all, as, all the noises around it are that there isn't a clause, as you said, there isn't a clause in his contract where there's a, a breakout clause if they get relegated, and it's just baffling. It is baffling to me that 
they've they've been able to pull it off. But I mean, it's a real snip for them. He's he's a great player, as you said. He he could fit into a lot. Of, I think he could play for most of the top six teams if you judge him purely on what he's done at Leon. I would judge him as a player. You don't know what his like character and temperament is like. Obviously, there's a load of uncertainty around that, and I'm not suggesting there's anything untoward. But you just you, you can't really judge a player till he plays for you. But if you're projecting, I think he would have been a very good fit for a lot of those teams. Um, and Newcastle have done really well to get him. So in terms yeah. of a deal, yeah, I think you're right to to go to that one first. It's weird. It's weird. Like if you're... Bruno Gamarish will be forever imprinted in my head as weird. Like, yeah, that's uh, that's something I tweeted out, and uh, it held true after the. And, it, and if they go confirmed. on to 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 make a success, which I think everyone expects them to do, given the the budgets they're going to be working with in in the upcoming years. Um, it's probably going to be the signing you look at and you think like that was the one that kind of moved that that was you know when you think of man city and it was rubinho that was kind of the first signing for them where you thought okay they're, they're here they're, they're here not to mess about yeah i know he's a center midfielder and it like maybe isn't it's not a flair position but when you compare him to like what they have in there in, in willock and shelby and uh, oh. I don't, it's long stuff still. I mean, it's it's just you're talking about a player from another stratosphere. He's such an upgrade. Yeah, he's um, two or three levels above, three four levels above. If we're talking like champ championship level in the Premier League, realistically should go down. Um, bottom half, trying not to avoid a relegation scrap, or are in yeah. a relegation scrap. Solid, really mid table, fighting for Europe, Champions League level could be a league winner. Bruno Gamarish is on the league winner category like yeah, he could definitely he could i think he played in the champions right league. he has in. played in the champions league he, he played in a, he played in a leon team that were close to the title last year yeah um, he's played in the champions league so he could have fit played, played right into level. liverpool for example he would have been I by think, far the best midfielder arsenal the, I, I i think the only question mark i kind of have about this signing is in terms of like how he profiles and it, and it's a wider discussion, I think, for Newcastle in particular, is when I look at the signings they've made, it's been less about, right, this is our manager, this is the system he plays, this is how we want to play football, and we're going to sign players that complement that way of playing. Yep. It's been less about that, and it's been more about, well, he's a good player, so we'll sign him. And I and I just think in terms of... Now, now maybe beggars can't be choosers and kind of the immediate aim, of course, is to stay in the division. And then you can talk about building a squad. So maybe it is just a case that they have to have as many, in their mind, good players as possible. But the only thing I would suggest with Newcastle is if you're going to be absolutely, like... Um, if you're going to critique their, their dealings in the window, it's been a bit of a hodgepodge of players, like, chucked together. Not all bad players. I think some of them is... Bruno's a very good player... I think that um, Trippier is obviously a very experienced right back. We talked about the Dan Byrne and and the uh, target. So they're not, you know, they're decent enough players. But I don't like Bruno, for example. The reason I brought it up there is he plays in a four three three, and they've been playing a four four two. Now, okay, it's like maybe not not that much of a systemic change, but yeah. you go from playing in a three man midfield to playing in a pivot. There, there is a difference in that. Obviously, the, you know, it's a different league as well, but that, that's less tactical, less the tactical side of it. So the only thing I would say with Newcastle is, and, and this is maybe why they're not guaranteed to stay up, is it's not necessarily been a coherent transfer window if you're being up, like completely critical of it and, and evaluating it. I think they've, mm. they've obviously had to spend. They know that they're in a position where it's perilous, that they are one of the three worst teams in the league at the moment. 
yeah. or at least they have been to this point. Yeah, and they, they know they need to stay in the division because then they can build from there and kind of, you know, move up the table and, and they'll be able to... I think if they go into the championship, it sets them back a few years in terms of the projects and the players they'll have to bring in to obviously get out of there. So they can't go down. They don't They don't want to be doing that. Yeah, of course. Um, but... I think overall it's been you'd have to say that if if we're setting the criteria judging them pre-window and post-window mm. they're of course a better squad and a better team as a result of it and they've spent 100 plus million so like obviously you would expect that um but I think it's probably more of a longer term thing it as I said I'm not totally convinced by the manager and maybe they aren't as well so it's like maybe we don't want to give this guy the keys and start build, let, letting him build the team because we might have to sack him in a year's time. Mm. Um, and, and to be fair, if we're being like completely fair with our uh, assessment, Man City didn't start doing that until they got Pep Guardiola. And, and you know he's a winner and you can go, right, you can have the keys and you can just have what you want and build what you want. Yeah. And I suppose maybe you're looking at Newcastle and thinking that that's 10 years away for them. You maybe don't start doing that until you're really competing with the big boys and trying to win the biggest honors. Um, but so there's th a few interesting points you make here. Yeah. Um, first of all, in terms of it being a mishmash of a window, I think assuming Danberg comes in, it it really isn't. And I think it confirms that they're going to actually go to a three at the back system. So I think they start with Danburn as a left-sided center back, they start with Matt Target as left wing back, Kieran Trippier right wing back as he's been doing with Atletico Madrid. Good pickup, by mm. the way. Um, and then Bruno Guimaraes can um, can play like in a double pivot that also is like, let's say you go three four two one or three four one two. Let's say you have a big man, little man situation, if you want to call it that. Uh, Chris Wood next to San Maximan. That's a, a way I see them maybe going so you could have bruno Guimaraes, let's say get next uh sean uh, sean or uh matty longstaff or john just i think it'd be Shelby. it'll be Shelby. i think yeah. or you have a flat three system or even you have a dm in front of the back three and you just want to keep it really really tight and that would be bruno Guimaraes. um but but what's definitely going to happen is that Guimaraes will will take 75 percent of the responsibility of midfield operation um, mm. But I, f I feel like it's directed towards something, and that something is a three at the back system. It will be interesting to see how who starts um, out of those and then out of uh, the the current existing squad. But I don't think it's necessarily a, uh, a as much a mishmash and oh we're just gonna buy whoever is available in the market and that's it. I think there's a there's a certain plan there, but it would be a big big shift in personnel and chemistry and tactical style that I don't trust them getting a kickstart on the season and picking up points soon enough, or at least I hope. I hope they get relegated, you know, if, if, you, if you aren't aware already. Yeah. Um, but I don't trust them to be able to at least comfortably stay up. They will be in a relegation battle all season, I feel they may find themselves going down because Burnley have themselves a goal scorer, Harry. Yeah, talk to me about this guy, the six foot six man mountain they've brought in on uh, on deadline day. So Wout Wieghorst, um from the glorious lands of the Netherlands. We love the Netherlands. We've had a, a Dutch 
um, a lovely Dutch man by the name of Reamer here in our uh, Euros episodes back in back in the summer. Um, and I have a few Dutch friends, so uh, I hold them close to my heart. Uh, Vakehorst, very interesting profile. I'd say he's he is extremely tall, six six. So mm -hmm. in terms of a, uh, a very physically strong too. So in terms of a uh, Burnley striker profile after losing Chris Wood, spot on. One of those I don't understand about Vakehorst's decision there, but you know. Uh, I, I mean, he knows he knows better what to do with his career. Uh, same with Bruno Guimaraes. I, I, I'm baffled by those two's decisions. I find it extremely mm. weird. But we'll see. T only time will tell. Like I can't judge anything. I'm just a guy on a podcast. Um, I think um, from what I was reading about him, anyway, part of the the reason he didn't have more suitors after him was the fact that he, his vaccination status. He's not he's not vaccinated. So a lot of clubs, in, at least in the Premier League, looked to that mm. and thought. We're not, nope. gonna, we're not going to go near it, if I'm honest, given what's been going on with all the postponements and, and kind of the habit that's been re wreaking on the league. Yeah. Um, it's understandable. It's Burnley. <laughs> I don't want to stereotype here, but they, uh, they they didn't they didn't care so much for that. Um, I thought it was yeah. interesting as well. So so for someone that's six foot six, he actually presses quite well from the front as well, which actually... Oh, he's very active but, but the press, yeah. It's interesting with Burnley because obviously people think of them as kind of a low block and clog the middle and and, and they do do yeah. those things at time to time but they actually do press as well um a lot yeah. more than people would think so when you're talking about profiling someone to come in and replace chris wood who actually if we're being honest has had a pretty poor season anyway yeah so getting 25 million for him and replacing him with this guy you know you could suggest that burnley have actually upgraded um yeah in, absolutely in that, in that sense absolutely um so I think this will be, it's a suitable one for Burnley in terms of his pressing style, because then you could obviously Burnley rely on height and rely on winning second balls and, uh, you know, the combative element. So you get one of two results from pressing really, really high and pressing the goalkeeper, right? You either get the goalkeeper lumping it up the pitch, and then you can have the potential of your defenders winning the headers and second ball. Or you yeah. can just win it back straight away, get, force the goalkeeper into a mistake, and then you're in business. Um, and Fake Horst is tireless. He's 97th percentile of all forwards in the top five leagues over the, the past year in terms of pressures made um, per, per game. So, yeah. yeah, I think there is, in terms of that, there is a deliberate element there that's why it's probably taking a little bit of time they didn't expect wood to go so they've taken a little bit of uh, of time to evaluate their options in terms of how he's performed this season though it's been a huge drop-off for wolfsburg who in it are in a pretty perilous situation the bundesliga huge it's got disastrously for them this season and for the for the quality that they have in their squad i mean fake horse up front had scored 16, uh, 17, 16, and 20 goals for them the three seasons before this, and then now he's on six. They mm -hmm. finished sixth, seventh, and fourth in the past three seasons. They are now 15th, um, and for the amount of quality that they have, is it's uh, it's actually unacceptable. And maybe part of the reason why Wolfsburg let him go is because of how much he dropped off. But in terms of what he's able to do at his best, 
obviously his goal scoring record speaks for kind of speaks for itself. He's outscored outscored his expectations every season for the past three. Not so much this season. He's underperformed by three goals, which is a bit scary. So mm. he'll have to get up and running again in terms of his goal scoring. Now, yeah, they need- if I can put it that way, what a cliche phrase. Um, yeah, but yeah, he'll he'll need to start scoring goals fast for Burnley because if he they need doesn't him to. Burnley, yeah, they need, they need him, him to. to. They're they're in trouble. Yeah, uh, right at the bottom of the table, they need to start winning games. Yeah, um, and that's why I think Burnley will stay up. By the way, because now they have someone who can who has shown he can score goals, um, and who kind of fits what Burnley want to do profile wise. So. You have a team that's extremely strong defensively and then couldn't score goals to save their lives. So when they start scoring goals and keep up their defensive record, then they improve on points. Yeah. Well, it is going to be interesting because, like, just assessing the bottom, I suppose. Like, you've got Newcastle that have spent heavily and then you've got um, Watford who have who've got have brought in an experienced manager. You've got um Burnley who've obviously got Sean Dice, experienced manager, and and as you said, they've brought in they've brought in someone to replace Chris Wood who is better than what they've got. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got Norwich who again have, I think got a good manager in Dean Smith for kind of the position they're in. So I mean it's gonna be really interesting kind of at the bottom of the table seeing who gets out of it because the I'd say all the teams, uh, probably Norwich and Watford to a lesser extent, but they've done all right in this window. Like mm-hmm. they, they've not lost any of their key players really. And and uh, well, Burnley did, but then they replaced them, and we think with someone that actually could be even better than Chris Wood. So it's gonna it's gonna be competitive down there. I think. I, like I, I don't think yeah, this definitely. window necessarily has decided who stays up because, as I said, I'm not quite convinced. I'm not as convinced by Newcastle as maybe you are and some other people are that they've got their recruitment spot on. I think there's still gaps in it uh, for what they've spent. Um, and then the other teams, probably slightly weaker squads, but there's not a lot between them at the moment. So it's going to be tight. Um, yeah. I want to I move from, from one end of the table to the other. We'll go up to the top and just look at what I think could turn out long-term to be one of the best deals of the window, which is Liverpool. Uh, All right. bringing in Luis Diaz. Mm. Now, before I let you uh, talk to me about this one, I just want to say, seeing as Arsenal haven't signed anyone in this window, for me to pick a favourite signing is most mostly quite difficult. But this one is, and simply for the reason that Tottenham were very close to signing him, pretty much had yes. the deal in front, had it nearly done. And then Liverpool swooped in at the 11th hour and just got it done in front of them. And And from what it sounds like, got it done in front of them pretty much because Tottenham's interest was was leaked by the media and the, and the numbers were leaked and Liverpool thought, okay, we'll, we'll have a bit of that right now and nipped in and got him. Um, and Tottenham even like officially protesting about it, um, putting out club statements and all sorts. I mean, they're, they're making a habit of, of this sort of stuff, sour grapes. But uh, <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely loved it for that reason. But, but talk to me about the player, Ali. Um, how does he profile? Why have Liverpool gone for him now? Uh, been tracked by them for for a very very long time, um, according to Jurgen Klopp anyway. So I think great succession planning given the age profile of our front three now and their contract situations. Uh, trust the fact that they will all renew the contracts, especially Salah. I think again, I think Salah is leaving at the end of this season, which is mm. a complete shame because he's still the best player in the world. Um, but Luis Diaz, right footed, aggressive dribbler, aggressive dribble tries to 
take on defenders um, in very difficult situations and manages to do so. If you kind of watch him in the Copa America, where he was top goal scorer alongside Messi, he scored one of the goals of the tournament, kind of bicycle kick thing. But the way he's able to get out of very tight situations, you know, by the sideline where you have a couple players stepping in, he would just flick it up and, and around one of the defenders or between the defenders and then he's he's off and running. Um, mm. Extremely skilled, extremely skilled. Um, I, I think of his dribbling style as a Riyad Mahrez type, you know, someone who wants to take players on and is quite flary, but has a higher skill set in terms of um, what how he can manipulate the ball he can strike it as well as Mares, but he can he he like he will find him just flicking it up a uh, rainbow flicks kind of thing uh bonito mm-hmm. yeah i'm excited about this um so in terms of how he fits into the front three he's obviously going to be a left wing who yeah. plays with him i think sadio mane will take a little bit of a of a, of a backseat now you think this as soon as this season or kind of more because obviously he's another one that you know well all of the front three are kind of moving towards that point in their contracts where it's either you know sell or extend and yes. and, and none of them you could definitively say yeah are gonna get an extension i think the most um, likely is for me no but let's move yeah on. yeah it is interesting though like because i've always looked at Liverpool and thought brilliant squad but a lot of them are at kind of that similar age and they need to start the rebuild and obviously you know a couple of the academy players have come through and you've signed Jota who's obviously going to be part of the future yeah. Trent's an obvious one but the replacing the front three or, or two of the front three at least you know is, is going to be difficult because they've yeah. been such good players for you um I think it's great succession seen, planning we've not seen Diaz kick a ball but as you've said it the, yeah. the intent is there to kind of start building the next side the next cycle yeah, um, and his age profile we bought him at his peak is 25. Uh, just turned 25, I think, Yeah, um, this season. And yeah, uh, so in terms of what he adds that Sadio Mane probably doesn't is that... It, not that Sadio Mane doesn't have the explosive dribbling, but Sadio Mane does it kind of a stop-start stop way. So he will, he will stop on it, he will deliberate where he wants to go or how to take on the defender assesses options mm-hmm. Luis Diaz's decision making is quicker I think than yeah. than Mane and that's not to discount or say Mane is just a worse footballer than Luis Diaz they have different skill sets so what yeah. Luis Diaz brings in is some of the attacks that were pretty much held up by Mane trying or taking longer in decisions Luis Diaz will be more definitive in um in you know transitioning forward and that's something we kind of lack this season i anticipate since we haven't signed a midfielder and that's something i'll get to because i'm pretty disappointed <laughs> but i i anticipate that luis yes might start with sadio mane in a kind of 4-2-3-1 and that's not something that's sadio mane hasn't done before he's done it before with senegal where he'll play as mm-hmm. the number 10 yeah. So there is a there is a scenario where Mane gets central and then picks up the ball and and progresses it because he he has the desire desirability the desire I guess um, or yeah. like a a certain preference to drop deep and pick it up. So maybe you can add that element 
to the midfield in a 4-2-3-1. If you play a double pivot of ever-injured Thiago Alcantara and, and Fabinho, I see a scenario where Mane is pretty much a number 10, and then or someone that will kind of drift to the left if needed, maybe Philippe Coutinho in a 4-4-2 diamond 16-17 type yeah. um, at, towards the end of the season. So... And then Luis Diaz will will make more aggressive runs, uh, be more involved in counterattacking uh, rather than than build up, so or like the the slow build up kind of thing. I hope that made sense. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's an exciting prospect for what we are able to do with the front three. Um, but yeah. I'm still, uh, it's I find the fact that we haven't signed a midfielder is still pretty questionable. Well, I suppose, you know, there's always more you could do in a window. I, 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 yeah. At least from what I kind of saw, Liverpool fans weren't expecting anything in this window. I think Not they, at all. They, they, were, they were sort of quite negative about it because you don't usually see them invest mid-season. Um, but as we kind of mentioned, they, they saw an opportunity there to bring something forward or if they didn't do it now, then Spurs would beat them to it. And, you know, it was uh, it was there to be done and they've done it. And I think, as I said, I think it's a really good signing. I think it profiles well. I think... It makes sense in terms of the succession of the team, the building the next team. Yeah. Um, well, to give you an idea on how much I expected this not to happen, uh, I was uh, streaming on uh, on Thursday night. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Tacticality. Tacticality replaced the L with the I. There you'll find me streaming Football Manager on Thursday and Saturday nights. Um, yeah. Uh, cheeky plug there. Uh, Liam, who we're friends with through Discord, um, and it came in chat and was like Luis Diaz going to Liverpool. And I was like, no, nah, it's not going to happen, is it? So checked Twitter, find a few different things, um, find a tweet saying it's the rumors are quite funny, quote unquote. But then found other rumors that are like, yeah, he's he's going and it's uh, going to be announced in the weekend. That's Thursday. We're recording on Monday, so that gives you an idea of uh, how how much the expectation shifted. I didn't think we'll do anything. Yeah, no, it moved quickly. It moved really quickly, that one. Yeah. Um, are there any other transfers or teams that kind of stand out to you in this window where you're... Well, we'll, t- we'll talk about the positive sides at least. We won't talk about yeah. absolutely shocking transfers, but like ones that you rate. I don't know if I rate this, but Donny van de Beek <laughs> to Everton, he is another example of a player that is much better than the club he's going to. Much, much really? better. Yeah. Donny I don't Van know de... how good he is because I've not seen him play. Last time I saw him play was in the bloody 2019 Champions League semi-final when he was putting that That's his level. Spurs. He is. Yeah. He he can be world class, and he's still 20. So it's interesting, right? So you've probably seen more of him than I have, and and you always take these articles that come out with a pinch of salt. But yeah. one of the things that was um, being discussed in in kind of the Man United breakdown and and why he wasn't playing is that people on the inside believed that he had physical limitations they didn't believe he could cover ground well enough um not just that he wasn't quick enough but not quite physical enough is that something from watching him that you ascribe to at all it's fair but it's not his role he's been playing in double pivots midfield threes no Mm. no 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 donny van de Beek's decision to go to man united is another example of what are you thinking um when it happened at the time He's not that. He plays under the striker. He's a shadow striker or an attacking midfielder at most. 
you get him close to the penalty area, have him make late runs, or dropping the playmaker. So you think he's more of a number 10 then? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because it's interesting, because Ajax, he played in the midfield three, but that doesn't mean he... I mean, I, I don't know what his heat maps and average positions were. It doesn't mean he necessarily was box to box. I mean, I've not watched enough of him. You'll but... find you'll find that Van der Beek is one of those who are the most advanced of the midfield three. Yeah. Um, <sighs> making then he, I just ca- he excelled at primarily making late runs into the box. Yeah, I that mean, that was the goal he's going against Spurs. So, yeah, that, that, that's kind of, as I said, kind of one of the only times I've really watched him um, was in and that Juventus, semi-final. He's, who were and a pretty scored... turgid side at the time. Yeah, and, and in that run, he scored some goals. And I just think if, if, if it was pitched to him that you're going to come and play as an attacking midfielder number 10, I would have said, well, you've already got someone doing that. And someone doing it for you, you know, pretty well in Bruno Fernandes. It's it's an unrealistic expectation. Not not necessarily that you'll play, but you, that you'll be playing every week. I mean, you, you know, you've got someone there that's probably at least as good as you, if not better than you. It's like, well... I'm going to assess my options and probably go somewhere else. So it, it just looks to me like it was a bad signing for Man United and it was a bad move for him. Yeah. Absolutely. And now he's got the opportunity to go somewhere else in the league and and prove that he's got it. Because I think it's important that he does it in the Premier League. Like if he goes back to Holland or he goes to Spain or to France, I mean, I don't know what clubs are in for him, but say he goes to another country and he does well, I think the same questions will still be there in terms of, right, well, can he do it in the Premier League? And I hate, I generally hate that saying. Like, it does irritate me slightly because it is overused by crap pundits. But in, <laughs> in terms of this one, if you are if you ha- if you harbour physical uh, reservations about him, you probably need to see him do it against Premier League opposition. Yeah. Um, I think for man united it's a good move in terms of if he does well either they can sell him permanently or he might come back and get game time for other that's much less likely but mm-hmm. it might show them that potentially they're wrong um, well, we don't yeah. know who the manager next is going to be so that'll be yeah, interesting and, yeah that, that well that's why they didn't want to let him go permanently either because it was like well we don't want to sell anyone um in case the new manager wants him. I mean, the new manager might be Ten Hag, and he might come in and go, well, I know this guy's good. I know I can get the best out of him. Yeah. The only thing I would say before we move on, it, it is interesting in terms of they've they've signed Van Der Beek, and then the, the, by the sounds of it, they're going to sign Deli Alley as well, who is is a shadow striker. That is the only role he's ever excelled in. Like Spurs have really messed it up over the years recently trying to play him in kind of deeper roles and get him to be more of a kind of all-round he just doesn't do that the only time he was ever like and he was good for Spurs I mean I don't like the guy but he had a good good couple of seasons for them where he was getting into the box and scoring goals and posing a goal threat and that is what he did he did not create intricately from deep or or win the ball back as some sort of like midfield number eight or whatever he was a shadow striker a support striker that is what he did so the only thing I would say is if I look at that, you can't really play those guys in the same team, can you? Especially when you've got Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin that are both presumably going to play as well. I mean, I, I don't I don't really see how they do it. And forward-wise, Anwar Gazi, Townsend, uh, Demar Gray. Yeah. They're a funny bunch, aren't they? Yeah, it's uh, they are. one of those where... What, what's, the, what's the idea here? Um, but... Not a clue. Speaking of you know individually sticking with Van der Beek, it's a it's a signing that he, that looks that looks if he's used in the right way under Frank Lampard, who we know is not the greatest tactician of all time, um, could be a bit transformative, or they will still be stuck in a relegation battle. 
think the likelihood is they get out of it. Not not particularly because I rate Lampard, but they've got some good individuals there. They shouldn't really be where they are. They should be in mid-table, if we're being honest. They're However, better than some of the teams that are above them. Who's the DM and what's the quality of Rusenovacs? Oh, no. I mean, like as a team, I don't think they're great, but I think they've got some good attacking players to... So I think see them through. I'd be I'd be surprised I'd be surprised if they were still loitering down the bottom of the table in you know a month's time when he when he's had a few games. But I, I mean, mean we'll see. To be we'll honest, see. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I know. I remember your predictions, mate. Yes, sir. Um, let's move on to teams that have not done well in the window. I'll save Arsenal because obviously I've <laughs> got a few things to say. Is there any other side that kind of stand out to you in terms of they had an opportunity to do something, they haven't, and they might pay for it? You can say, you can say Leicester City, but I'm not sure where they should have improved. Mm. But based on how their season has gone, I wonder if they should have made it a brought in just a fresh dimension to a certain I think Leicester let's say midfield I think they need a centre-back most desperately if I look at them they've been conceding goals that's right Chad Larsu is not it yeah you're absolutely right Vestergaard's been a terrible signing for them as well I mean I just you know for far obviously it was very unlucky what happened to him in pre-season and that they really missed him this year That that's the position I'd look at them and think they should have done something because they're just conceding too many goals, too many chances, too many goals. Because they're actually scoring quite a lot. They're still creating chances. They've still got good attacking players. But you see, like, their game against Spurs, they conceded something like an XG of 4.6. They scored two goals at home and lost the game of football. I mean, you, you just can't be doing that. It's difficult enough to win games anyway. But if you concede yeah. three, yeah, I mean, you got no chance. They were lucky it wasn't more, to be honest with you. It could have been about eight of how many chances they had. I mean, it was ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah the, the one team... Well, there's two actually. Um, Man United, obviously, and maybe we'll talk about them in a second. I think West Ham. West Ham, it just seems like to me they are doing well. They've got a very you know solid group there. But I think they're just content to finish sixth or seventh. If they honestly want to finish in the top four and rival Man United and Spurs and Arsenal, they needed to add to that squad. And it just yeah. seems like to me that they're relying on and David Moyes has done very well this season he's, he's, and over the last couple of seasons, actually. But they they just they haven't brought a single player in. They've got the Europa League in the second half of the season. Um, and, and it just feels like David Moyes is kind of holding it all by a string at the moment. And the ownership has never been the most ambitious. There. I don't think they've run the club at all well over the years. And they've had a chance here to, to really go out and make a statement and go, we're backing this guy. And, and and you get stuff like they're bidding 50 million for Phillips and Rafinha at Leeds. It's almost like they know it's going to get turned down. Like, what what, what is this, for goodness sake? Like, it's bonkers. Yeah, I mean, Leeds, Leeds would want double that minimum for both of those guys. They're not going to get them for 50 million. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. It seems derisory. And then there's rumors <laughs> of, them, of them putting in a 50 million bid for... Um, uh, Darwin Nunes at, uh, at Benfica and it's like similarly they're, they're not going to sell him for that on the last day of the window you just it's just not realistic so yeah the Darwin Nunes one trick. seems like a bit of a, a panic button hitting uh kind of uh kind of bid but uh one yeah. more team that I thought should do something and didn't is Leeds United 
you know how it is there. They, they haven't brought in anyone, essentially. There's someone called Mateo Joseph Fernandez from Espanol. Uh, youth player, uh, right? Youth player. Um, they lost yeah. Cody They lost Cody Drama, who started plenty to Cardiff on loan controversially earlier in the window. Um, mm. And done nothing since. Maybe in the they've next been, They've been stressed all season. I suppose the, the thing is they'll do something. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah, we got uh, well. As we said at the start, keeping an eye on everything. But um, yeah. I suppose with Leeds, they're kind of they're, they're not they're not going to get dragged into it. I think they've got too many points on the board already to be in any sort of serious trouble uh, with a relegation battle. So mm-hmm. maybe they're just looking at thinking, you know, I mean, Phillips is out for a while longer, I think, isn't he? So yeah. but Bamford will be back soon. That they'll get players back. They have really been stretched recently. Yeah. Um, Shout out also before we before we move on to the the next big two topics. Brentford bringing in Christian Eriksen. Uh, yeah. Just glad for him. He's passed the medical and been able to to come back yeah. and play professionally. Yeah. Just even as really an expert player, obviously, like that that sort of stuff goes out the window when you have what went on in the summer with him, and it's just good to see him back and playing football. Because you know, you spoke about um, Dali Ali earlier. I think Dali Ali doesn't have the career he's had without someone like Christian Eriksen in the team doing mm. all the creative work in that Spurs side. You saw like once once he declined, and I know he stayed there till the middle of the 2019-20 season, but by then he obviously wanted to go and he diminished as kind of a player. Um, the, the whole team was worse for it. If it, you know, if, if I'm being fair in my judgment, he, he was an excellent player for Spurs. Um, yeah. and, and on a human level, as you said, it's good to good to see him back and playing football at the uh, at the top level. Yeah, and then you have um, Aston Villa bringing in Count Chambers and Robin Olsen over the week. Um, yeah, it's just a strange one, the Chambers one. Because uh, first, because nobody knew anything about it. And secondly, uh, Chambers is a weird player because I don't think he's... He, he's not great, but he's kind of... He's, he's he's decent, he's all right. Like, he's an okay centre-back and an okay right-back. He's not brilliant. I mean, he, he kind of just is a squad player. And I think that's what he'll be for Villa. He'll, he'll maybe cover two positions and... I, I, put it this way, right? From an hmm. Arsenal perspective, I would, sh- I would much prefer to have him at the club than than Cedric, who we've still got on the books. I mean, we've had to get rid of three right backs because we cannot get rid of this guy because we put him on a four year deal, yeah. Uh, and and the third or fourth highest wages at the club, I think, something like seventy five k a week, and it's just bonkers. Yeah. Um. But but on Chambers, yeah, he um, it's okay. I like it's decent enough, and obviously they brought in Coutinho as well. I mean, Villa Villa brought in a lot of players this season, so I think. Part obviously they struggled a bit earlier in the season. Part of it, um, I think, was the players need time to settle in and, and kind of play together for a bit. Um, they seem to be getting better. Gerard's doing a good job there. Mm-hmm. He's got them organised. I don't think they're particularly free free flowing yet. I've got to be honest that I think they're a bit more solid than than anything. But maybe that comes with Coutinho and they they get Bailey back. I mean Bailey's hardly played as he's been injured quite a bit. Um, yeah, but they, they they've had a solid window you'd say Luca Dean obviously as well they brought in and continue um, just uh, one of those that elevates the team to a whole new lo- the 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 game against Man United right could you can see the difference between Coutinho and Buendia with all respect to Buendia but Coutinho is just on another stratosphere even though he's had the grease I mean I, I was happier to see um Villa take a risk on Coutinho than I would have been if Arsenal had done it but yeah He's still a very good player. Like you don't lose Absolutely. that overnight. He's he's had a few tough years with with top clubs. Let's be honest. I mean, it doesn't mean you're a bad player if you don't quite make it at Real Madrid, uh, not Real Madrid, Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Still Champions League um, with Bayern. Still, still won the Champions League with Bayern. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, and then just to acknowledge um, 
the final two big ones before we move on to Man United and Arsenal. Uh, mm. Kulusevski, who I think is one of the weirder players yeah. in the window, yet another winger. It means yeah. maybe Lucas, Lucas at wing back, Harry. Lucas at wing back, maybe. But they did bring in a, a very important signing, Rodrigo Bentancur. Yeah, um, hugely needed in midfield. Someone who is a defined. You can make him a defined anchor, um, ball ball winner who is very capable of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he, they, those two coming in from Juventus, yeah. Big, big it's interesting with Spurs because on the one hand, you could go, well, Conte wanted Traore and he wanted Diaz and he didn't get either of them. And it all seemed like a bit chaotic in terms of they they lurched quite quickly from one target to the next. And I think with a manager like Conte, who doesn't necessarily demand specificity, so to speak, he's not particularly like Klopp or or Pep, or, or from what we've seen Arteta, where they, they want very specific things from players. I think Conte's a bit more like, he, he wants the attitude side of it in particular. You you have to buy into what he's doing. I think you can probably get away with it as a director of football with the guy they've got. Um, but what I do with Spurs, quickly, is that they've actually done something. They've actually yeah. shown the initiative to improve their squad. And part of it was they had to. Conte would have demanded it, you know, upon coming in. I think that much was obvious and certainly made it obvious in any interviews and press conferences he he, he, he did um, in the weeks leading up to the window and during yeah. that. Um, but they've done it. They're, they're the only team out of West Ham, Man United and Arsenal that have actually signed anyone. They've actually improved their squad. We talk about where were they prior to it? Where are they now? Okay, they've let a few players go. None of them were playing. So I don't think you could argue that they're worse off. That, that you know Who knows how these guys are going to do when they come in, but at least they've shown an attempt to improve their squad. You know, they've, they've gone out there and they've actually done something and gone, we want to get fourth and we're going to give this manager what he wants within what we can do. And and, and, and I'll give them credit for that. Now, we'll have to see how it plays out over the rest of the season and, yeah, of you know, time will win the argument on that one, but at least they've tried to do something. Uh, have Arsenal tried to do something? No. Um, they haven't, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's been such a strange window from Arsenal because... All the noises coming out of the club at the start of it were quite positive. You, you you know, okay, maybe it wasn't realistic that we were going to get Vlavic. I think that much became quite obvious quite quickly. But you thought, okay, at least they've recognised we're in a position where we're right there for top four. Doesn't mean we're guaranteed to get it, but we're no less likely than the teams around us. We've got a fighting chance and you've got a squad there that is good. You've got a good core. Well, I say good squad, you've got a good team, good core. But the squad's been stretched in recent weeks and it needs a few additions. And you saw it in that two-legged tie against Liverpool and that game against Burnley. It was on its knees by the end of it. You had players that had played every single minute of all the games in January, and it's just ridiculous. And essentially, all we've done in January is is trim the wage bill. I mean, okay, so so as it as it stands, right? As it stands, we we've let some so we let Chambers go, which we've already mentioned, Kalasanach, Mary. Um, Maitland-Niles, Balogun's gone on loan, which is obviously absolutely fine, no problem with that. Um, and then the big ones are Bamiang, which is scheduled to be completed tonight, and he's going to go to Barcelona. If you go through all of those individually, I don't have a problem with any of those players going. Like, I really don't. Like, none of them start for us. Pablo Marie none of them going are, would have... Uh... Uh, no problem. Absolutely no problem. Yeah, Take it. There you go. <laughs> absolutely no issue. But the issue is... That now we've we, we've got eighteen outfield players on the books at Arsenal. It's not a big enough squad. Why you have you have you have two players coming in? Lino Sosa at the end of the season and Austin Trusty. 
End of the season. Oh, the both season. of them at the end of the season. Matt oh Turner, no. Um, Matt, Matt, Matt Turner's coming in and this uh, American defender. Um, yes. Crusty's coming in at the end of the season. I mean, God knows. I mean, I don't know how good they're going to be. But the the point is that we're going to have to get. I know we've only got league games now. There's no Europe and there's no FA Cup. So, the, so it really is just a shootout in the league. We're going to have to get so lucky with injury. I mean, you've got a striker in Lacazette who doesn't score, but also physically is limited. He can't do more than 70 minutes to a like, good standard. You've then got someone in Inketia who's not been good enough ever and is running down his contract deliberately to get a payday in the summer. And he's first drop and he has zero goals this season. We look light up front. Midfield, I can sort of look at it and go, well, if Shaka and Party stay fit, or at least you have one of them all season, you can model through. You, you, there are options, I think, in centre midfield where we can just about manage. Up front, we're really going to struggle, I think. And it might be a case you've got to try something funky. It might have to be Martinelli. It might have to be Pepe. Like They're going to have to find internal solutions to it because none of it is ideal. And I think the bit that irritates me most with, with the striker situation is... We've known about Aubameyang since, I think, the 10th or 11th of December was the first game he was excluded for. I think they knew at that point his Arsenal career was over. They didn't plan on picking him again. And I think that's probably when they thought, OK, we're going to have to try and sign someone in January. And they maybe looked a bit more closely at Vlahovic and some of the others and thought, OK, maybe we can move these forward from the summer. Now, I'm not losing my shit that they haven't gone and paid a release clause for Alexander Izak of 75 million or whatever it is, because that's a lot of money, and he's only got four goals this season. But what I would say is they've had a month and a half, if you go back to that update I've just said, to find a striker that basically is better than Eddie Nketiah for the rest of the season and someone that can share the minutes with Lacazette, maybe push him, maybe, and it comes to the summer, Lacazette's out of contract, Nketiah's out of contract, and Aubameyang's gone, we're going to need to sign two strikers anyway, if we're being realistic. So maybe they become one of them. And then you do your big signing in the summer, whether it's Calvert-Lewin or Isaac or Jonathan David or whoever. I don't really care, to be honest with you. I'm not a scout. I can't tell you who the best is out of those guys. But what I can tell you is when you've got two guys that have scored three goals between them all season and you've got a young squad that have played a lot of minutes for players their age this season... It just seems to me like we've waved the white flag at fourth. We've kind of gone, well, that wasn't the expectation at the start of the season. You know, nobody expects us to finish fourth. So if we finish sixth, we're still on track for our project. And maybe that's like fine. Maybe they don't want to do short term deals. But I just can't look at this window in any sort of positive light other than they've got some wages off the books, which we've got billionaire owners. I mean, like seriously, that can't be the priority. If they have any sort of ambition and want to do something this season, there had to be signings. And it, and, and with an hour and a half left, it doesn't look like there's going to be. So the only positive I think is that Man United and West Ham haven't done anything either. So it's like, maybe we haven't fallen behind them, but I wanted us to steal a march on other teams, Adam, and we just haven't done. And it really disappoints me. On the other hand... The Cronkies rounds are, go are going to the Super Bowl. I, I watched that last night, actually. Or this morning. Oh, really? Cause I, yeah, because um, I, I don't really watch American football at all, if I'm honest. I don't really know what's going on. But um, hmm. in, in some sort of weird convoluted way, I thought, well, if they get to the Super Bowl, then maybe they'll go and spend 80 million on transfer deadline day <laughs> in, in sort of a celebratory mood. Um, oh, you were too optimistic I, there. I know, I know. This is what the transfer window's done to us Arsenal fans, Ali. It's, I mean, you've got people tracking Alexander Isak's like number plates in London. I mean, it's just wild, like, honestly. 
it, it, it people fly off the handle with it um <laughs> I, I i'm to be honest with you i'm, I'm glad it's going to be over soon because yeah i i i transfer winners are tough man fuck me like they put you through the ringer <laughs> yeah they do they really do yeah shame that yeah arsenal have uh have dealt with it that abysmally Mm, it's no been a, it's been really bad. My, and Man United as well. Like my, similarly, I tell yeah, you what, my my top four uh, uh, prediction for Tottenham is holding true. It does, and, and, and I must United say, I think either. I'll make it clear. I said that in the in the podcast, didn't I? I said it uh, between Arsenal and Tottenham. It's dependent on transfer business. And okay, yep. we again, we don't know if Spurs' signings are going to be good, but their squad is at least the same size as it was prior to the window, as is smaller, as is... We've actually made ourselves weaker because the likes of Chambers and Maitland-Niles, they're not great players, but they actually provide backup. And okay, Bamiang hasn't been playing, but he's better than Nketiah. Like, had he stayed, it was never realistic. He was never going to get reintroduced. But he's better than... He, he's a better striker than both of Lacazette and Nketiah. We play better with Lacazette in the team, so I do understand it, but... Yep. It's just it's just disappointing, but as you said, your your prediction's looking good um, for Spurs um, to finish in the top four. I mean, it like that they're, they're looking good. They've done some business at least. They have, and many United haven't. Man, well, United they've haven't. done in terms of outgoings. Axel Donzebi, yeah. Anthony Martial, Amatoriore, and Donny Van de Beek. It is interesting, isn't it? Because that Man United squad has gone from looking like pretty big, if it like pretty deep, if not brilliant to actually quite lightweight and obviously given recent events and we won't we won't talk about the individual in question but that's another player obviously out the frame mm -hmm. and now they've got a much shallower squad than what they had um mm -hmm. and they've got fa cup and the champions league so like they're similar to arsenal but with a few more players but obviously more to com compete with you know they've got more competitions they need to to juggle and it's similar. I think it's similar in terms of the ownerships. Like they, they want to balance the books. They want to make their money. They're not going to take undue risk and spend, you know, well, well beyond the means. Um, I don't think anyone expected Man United. Uh, did you expect them to spend big in January? I mean, I didn't. I, no. I certainly didn't. I, I thought that most they might get one player. Um, but I think what no. they're trying to do is well, they will always try to um, save money that's in it that's mm. to and me then, and then in the summer looks like the the nature of the glazers so what they're trying to do is um marcial goes to zavier gets a lot of game time now then they can uh, sell them off for a good fee and they um, get the wages off the books as well that's the other thing get, is yep. till the end of the season they've they've got something like 450k's worth of wages off the books given yep. the players that have gone out um i think the fact that then, they haven't signed a defensive midfielder is absolutely disgraceful They'll sign Declan Rice for 100 million in the summer, and it'll be like you know 30 million too much, and they'll have done it too late. But two that's the way they late. work. They're, they're reactive. They, they did it with Sancho. Like they signed Sancho probably two years after they should have signed him in the first place, and mm -hmm. it, it's not worked out since, obviously. But that that is the way they are. They're reactive. They 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 honestly, I honestly think the Glazers take decisions based on what they think the not not like fans happiness will be like but the reaction to it they want to get shirt sales they want to get like hits online they want to they, they care about all that pr stuff i don't i don't really think they're in they're in football to win they're in football to make money they're in football to you know uh globalize a brand they're in it for all the wrong reasons as a lot of these people are and the problem is that they failed at that too like i was um listening to or, or 
watching a uh, TIFO video earlier today talking about mm-hmm. uh, United. Um, and, uh, you know, not in the nature of the podcast, a shout out to other people. But this was pretty informative in terms of, oh, yes, we know that Man United really, really care about their um, PR status and their commercial growth. And they've grown by mm-hmm. twice since the Glazers took over, I think, in 2013. But ha- as has everybody else. So yeah. they've taken United from a position where they were u- dominating Europe, getting to Champions League finals every single year, huge advantage on everyone else commercially in the Premier League, to yeah, the kind of the same as everybody else growth-wise at least. Uh, yeah. There's they're they're behind Man City now in terms of um, uh, commercial revenue, something like that. But the, like commercially, they're second best to Man City now. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, they have failed that too. Yeah, they, they, they've run the club badly. I mean, it's nothing new. Like, it, 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 There's parallels between Man United and Arsenal because Man United, they're, they're, they're barely in the top four, whereas Arsenal, like from a lower budget, they're still a big club, but they're not the commercial size of Man United. The Cronkies have run the club badly. They didn't put any money in. They appointed the wrong people. And then you find yourself out of Europe. And now yep. they have to spend to get back in Europe. So it's like, eventually it does catch up with you. If the Glazers continue to run Man United the way they are, they will somehow manage to get one of the biggest clubs in England and in the world into a position where they're not guaranteed Champions League football. They already have. They were in the Europa League final this summer. There you go. And and that will become a consistent... They'll go out for a few years if they keep doing what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't mind that as an Arsenal fan. You probably Me neither. No, I would absolutely Um, love it. But objectively speaking, I think it's a disgrace. I think it's an absolute disgrace the way they've run the club. I mean, it's yeah. just diabolical. Um, I think we'll leave it there for today, Ali. Thanks uh, yeah. for joining me. Enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, well, I, I can't say I enjoyed it, given our lack of dealings <laughs> on, uh, on Chance of the Dead Day. It was a good discussion. Um, and uh, I have to uh, say, just uh, just quickly, we know we haven't yeah. covered, covered every single club. It's an hour or so long podcast, so it's pretty hard to do that. But... Um, if your if your club hasn't been mentioned, they've had a big made a big signing, um, at least from your perspective. Or there's a big outgoing gun. We haven't mentioned it. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. We're just uh, we just you know we try to cover the base as much as possible. But Julian Alvarez to Manchester City. Every yeah. single one of you Premier League top six, you've let him go to Man City, who already are just running away with everything. You're disgraced yeah. <laughs> for letting him go yeah. to Man City. Free run. Free run. Outrageous. Outrageous. That that pretty much sums up Arsenal's transfer window. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Ali. (laughs) Of course. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll catch you on the next one. Cheers.